0: Scripture reading this morning will be coming from the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 1. 1 Corinthians, chapter 1, will start in verse 11. That is also found on the Pew Bibles on page 1012. 1 Corinthians, chapter 1. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Now I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest this morning, again, we welcome you. It encourages us that you're here. and We want to be an encouragement to you. We've been really encouraged this past week. Last Sunday, as we gathered funds to send to our brothers and sisters in Sudan, who are literally starving, Uh, As a congregation, we collected over $47,000, and another individual, uh, just a few miles from us, anonymous individual, heard of it and said, I want to help in that good work, and he sent us a check for $10,000 this week. And then others have also heard about it from outside the congregation and given, and and, uh, I'm just kind of pulling a rough number now, so don't hold me to it, but somewhere probably around $55,000, $60,000 at least has been given, and all the glory to God, and we look forward to telling you over the next few weeks and months of the good that has been accomplished in the lives of our brothers and sisters there. And I want to encourage you to continue to pray. Also, it was a wonderful weekend this weekend with a single mom's car care clinic. Uh, We're thankful for each of the mothers that came and allowing us to share in their life. And we're thankful for each that worked. That was most of the day yesterday from first thing in the morning to late in the afternoon. And about 24, I believe it was, uh, ladies were helped. And it was a lot of work. If we go back a slide, I can show you there that, that at the top, uh, the, the ladies had manicures, and of course, they loved that. To the right, you see the, some of our men underneath the car that's on a rack, oil was changed, and if there was anything that needed to be suggested for the safety of the car or the care of it, that was towed. The bottom right there, you see that there was a crew washing the cars and even detailing the cars. And to the left, you see that uh, the kids were being taken care of and loved it. One single mom told me, she said, you know, we ended up not leaving after our car was ready because my children were enjoying being here so much, we just hung out a while what a blessing what a blessing i don't know if the ones taking care of the kids enjoy that but what a blessing what a blessing and on the next slide you see uh how hard some of the guys were working i want you to especially notice there on the left ben reed comes in And he literally doesn't just help with cleaning the cars, but he helps with cosmetic repairs on the car. And so the car looks like what would be detailed at a car lot. And it really is amazing. We're thankful we can do that good. And we're thankful that it impresses uh, these families. And we're thankful that they can give the glory to God and say, there's some people that love me. And we're able to express to them that God loves them. One expressed that they wanted to learn more of the scriptures and be praying about that. And we just look forward to ways uh, that we can get involved in other people's lives and give God the glory. Something real important this afternoon that you need to know about and that is that our youth building just across the parking lot, the 2030 address, our youth building is going to have an open house. Listen, if you have kids six through 12th as part of that and you've never gone into that building, you owe it to yourself to go there. Number one, I assure you beyond any shadow of a doubt, you're going to walk away and you're going to say that was unbelievable. So ultimately what I'm saying, if you're a member of this congregation and you don't know about that tool over there, why do we have it? Facilitate spiritual growth. You say, how can a building facilitate spiritual growth? Go over there between 4 and 6 this afternoon and come back tonight and say, he was telling the truth. It is amazing how that building has been designed to facilitate spiritual growth. Please go between 4 and 6 and see what's been done there. We appreciate... Brother Albert England and Laura uh, Jenkins for the hours upon hours of their design and their work and so many others that have helped. If you have children coming up, uh, they're younger than sixth grade, but they're coming up, uh, even if they're three and four years old, please go by and see that. We look forward to that time just to show you the good things that God is doing there. And then by way of introduction, finally, let me remind any of you ladies, especially it can be men, but some of you scrapbookers, I don't know what that little gadget's called that you lay things down and you slide it across and it cuts things out. But we have a lot of cutting out to do from four to six today in the lower fellowship hall to get ready for our stateside mission trip as we are going to label our Bibles for a chain reference guide. And so some of you have been contacted, you know about it, but if you haven't been contacted, you're needed. If you have that little dude bring him. Okay. And, uh, and if you have one that can be borrowed, bring it. And if you don't have one, there's been about a dozen already gathered up, come and be in the lower fellowship hall. And there really is a lot of tedious work that needs to be done. And, uh, you know how it is. Many hands make light work. If one or two people had to do this, it would be weeks to take care of all this. And so please help us out in that if you can. C S Lewis and the screw tape letters, the senior demon is explaining to Wormwood, his young nephew, about how they were going to work against Christianity. And it was interesting that one of the things that he said that they were going to do is not work on what you think of major sins. They said, we're just going to bring smaller things into their life and distract them from their mission. Isn't it interesting that that does seem to be the way Satan oftentimes works? Look, Satan doesn't care if you fall into some huge immoral sin or if you just let the good things of this world distract you from the greater purpose of your mission. In other words, it could be that there are some things that on the surface we say, that's not really a big deal. That if we take it down to the core of where it comes from, it really might be a big deal. And so that's I just want to challenge this morning is, And and all throughout this series, are you willing to take everything that you deal with and say, I want to stop looking at things only on the surface level. And I want to take it down deeper and see what is really happening here and what is at stake here and what is happening. One more story of introduction, because I think this could help us as we go deeper into the lesson, but I wanna go ahead and throw it out to you now. And I know I wouldn't be the only one. I know there would be many of you in this room that have had this experience. Have you ever driven up to New York City? I know many of you have probably flown into it, but if you've ever driven up to New York City, when, when you drive and you see the skyline at the distance, you can't help but see the Empire State Building that just stands out. And naturally, you would say to yourself, Wow, that's big. But then as you get closer, you cross the water and you get over closer, you realize, you know, it's bigger than what I thought it was. And finally, you turn on the exact street and you come down in and it gets bigger. And then you stand across the street right in front of it. And you start to realize how magnificent this structure is. And then you cross the street. And you stand underneath it. And I know I'm not the only one that experienced this. But that is one of those moments in life where you truly feel small. You look up at that structure and you realize compared to it, you are so little. And it is so grand. Did you know that what Paul addresses here? Not on the surface. On the surface, it looked like the problem was one thing. But what he's ultimately in this chapter going to do is he's going to say, really, you think the problem is this. But if you'll go down deeper, what you're going to realize is the real problem is there are some things that you think is big. And there are some things that you think are small. And you've got them mixed up. The things that are really small, you think are big. And the things that are really big, you think it's small. And when you get those core issues mixed up, it's gonna create a lot of issues on the surface. So this morning and even this evening, I want us to be real honest with ourselves as we deal with problems, but then be real honest as we go deeper. Are we really clear and are we really faithful in our understanding. So what would it look like? I hope you have your Bible open and, and look with me there. In 1 Corinthians, the text has been read. But what I want you to do, and, and surely you paid attention to the text that was read, and he was bringing up a problem. But what I want you to do is go back with me now, one verse back, and we're gonna read verse 10. And I believe verse 10 is the launching point that everything in the first chapter goes back to it. Everything in the second chapter goes back to it. Everything in the third chapter goes back to it. And I believe probably everything in the fourth chapter goes back to verse 10 in some way. And, and so what he does here is before he addresses the problem, he lays out a standard. In other words, he's saying, this is, this is how it ought to be. Now let's address the problem that you're not living up to this. And so here's the standard. Let's read 1st chapter and verse 10, 1st Corinthians. Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing and that there's no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Now notice how strong this is. I plead with you. And then to make sure that he doesn't confuse the fact that because he's pleading, he's saying, it's just me. He says, oh, by the way, I'm pleading, but I'm pleading in the name of Jesus. In other words, this is authoritative of what I'm asking of you. It's from God. Well, what is it that he's pleading? He says, there needs to be this unity. When you speak, all of you need to speak the same thing. There just shouldn't be Divisions among you. Well, how are we going to do that? He says you have to have the same mind. Whose mind are we going to have? Is everybody in the Mount Juliet congregation going to share your mind? No. You put a thousand of us together, you're going to have about a thousand opinions. So, how are we going to move together and speak the same thing and not have divisions? We're talking about something deep, we're talking about something challenging. And he says, the way you're going to do it is share the mind of Christ. If I move and submit toward Christ and you move toward and submit to Christ, now we're on the same page. If I speak the word of Christ and you speak the word of Christ, we speak the same thing. If I stand on the side of Christ and you stand on the side of Christ, we're not divided. And so in that we have the same mind. But notice, there are a lot of things that are not of doctrine they're of opinion that still would divide us, and so what are we going to do? How are we going to be of the same judgment? Just like under doctrine we would unite under Christ, in judgment we have to unite under our eldership. I don't know any other way to do that. Hebrews the thirteenth chapter and verse seventeen, he tells us to obey those who have the rule over us. I think about times that our elders have gotten up and they've made announcements about things that are not doctrinal. And really it's a lot more than just an announcement. What they're doing is saying, we've made a decision. And this is the way we're going to lead this congregation. Even though it's not an area of doctrine, this is the way we're going to do it at Mount Juliet. You have a choice at that moment. Are you going to share in the same judgment, even though personally you might have a different opinion? Are you going to share in the same judgment? And if so, if the person next to you shares in the same judgment and the person to the other side in the front and the rear of you, you'll all be of the same judgment, even though personally you might have a different opinion about that particular thing. Well, I just don't know if we should go to two services. Well, in the big picture, it really doesn't matter if the decision has been made, we'll go to two services if that's the way the elders lead. Now, fortunately, we don't have elders that lead with an iron fist and are not willing to listen and for you to be heard. And so that's what's beautiful is that it's not an iron fist dictatorship, but it is the reality that out of all the ways this book could have begun. Now, think about it. Paul is writing to the Corinthian brethren, but he's writing by the inspiration of God. God knew that this book was going to be delivered from God through Paul to Corinth and also to the Mount Juliet Church of Christ in 2014. God knew that. How is this book going to begin? i tell you what, if I'm going to write to a church like the church of Corinth, we're going to jump right to it. And we're going to talk about things like, you mean to tell me a man has his... Father's wife, we need to address that first. You mean to tell me that there are people that do not believe in the resurrection? We need to address that first. You mean to tell me that there's a collection that needs to be taken for people that that are hurting? We need to address that first. Isn't it interesting, and I do not think it was without fault, that the first thing he addresses, the first thing he addresses, and really touches on it for four chapters Is are you going to stand united? Are you going to be divided? Are you going to leave Christ and divide? Or even if you stay with Christ, are you going to divide over opinions? I think about one time that our elders got up and spoke to us as a congregation and asked something of us. And I was standing out in the foyer and just before service was over, one of our guests was leaving And he came by and he shook my hand and he said, I love to see a united congregation. It's wonderful to see a congregation that respects our elders. He said, I've been a part of a church before that if that announcement was made, people the next week would do things different just to show that they were against them. Brethren, that's not something new in 2014. That's something that God is dealing with in the first century. And so we look at this and we say, I want to be of the same mind of Christ. I want to be of the same judgment with each other. And isn't that beautiful? And isn't it easy? Yes, it's beautiful. And no, it's not easy. As a matter of fact, read the very next line in verse 11. For it has been declared to me. Now pause there. Remember how Paul's writing this? Number one, he spent 18 months with them. He knows them. So he can write some things because he knows them. Also, Chloe's household came and told him things. So he can write some things because they've told him. Also, Chloe's house apparently delivered a letter and he's able to read the letter where they ask questions. And so some things he writes answering their questions. And so here's what he declares. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, he still calls them brethren, that those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. You say, you're telling me out of all the problems they had, he's going to start with contentions? He's not going to deal with sexual immorality? He's not going to deal with people believing in a doctrine that there's no resurrection? Yeah. He's going to begin with contentions because the root of this contention is very deep. What what is going to be the dividing factor that he immediately addresses? Look in verse 12. Now I say this that each of you says, I'm a Paul, I'm a Paulus, I'm a Cephas, or I'm of Christ. Those sound like great men, they were great men. Why would they be dividing behind great men? Scripture doesn't tell us all the reasons why they were dividing around them, but you can imagine what some of the pull would have been. Some of them in Corinth would have been converted by Paul because he's the one that came in and established the church. Hey, I'm gonna stay with Paul because he's the one that, that taught me the gospel. And somebody else says, I tell you what, I heard Apollos come through. The Bible never says about any other man that he was eloquent in speech and mighty in scripture. Apollos would have been an amazing preacher to listen to. And then Peter. Why would people line up with Peter? Peter was a close friend of Jesus. He literally walked with him. Peter was an apostle that was listed first every time the apostles are listed. He was the natural leader of the group. Peter was the one who stood up and preached. We have his sermon recorded on the day of Pentecost. Peter made a huge impact upon first century Christianity. And some said, I'm going to line up with Peter. And what's interesting is you might read the fourth one and say, well, that's the way they ought to do it. Is that a compliment when he says, and some say I'm of Christ? Or is that part of the problem? Have you seen people that say they are of Christ, but the reality is they are still a fraction? They are a divide of It happens all the time. Are we really following Christ? Or have we divided and started following men? Have we started following preachers? And when we have a doubt about something, as long as we can hear some preacher say it's true, we're going to line up with them because I'm of fill in the blank. That is a dangerous way to live your faith. And somebody else says, well, I tell you what, the church I'm a part of is the church that belongs to Christ. So anytime I have any doubt, I just ask, what does the church of Christ believe about that? Now you've become a division of Christ. You have turned the Lord's church into a denomination. You know what the Lord's church believes about every topic? If it's truly the Lord's church, it believes everything that the Lord says, nothing more and nothing less. You don't have to go and ask as if it's a denomination follow the word of God. And so we have divisions here and it is contention that is leading to this division and it's probably division that's leading to the contention. We don't have time to study word by word, phrase by phrase, but I want you to get an idea of what from now to the end of this chapter is about. And notice what he says in 17 and 18. 17 and 18, this is Paul addressing this. And then we're gonna come back and close out this lesson by putting it in an orderly way that maybe would help us even understand and appreciate it better perhaps. Verse 17, this is Paul's answer to them. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. You see, some were saying, oh, I'm a Paul because that great apostle Paul was the one that baptized me. He says, I'm not an apostle so that people can feel special because I baptized them. He said, my task is to go and preach the what? Gospel. Do you remember over the past few weeks how we talked about how important the gospel is? The kerygma of the gospel. The kerygma is the gospel. It is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. Everything that we are, not because we think it, because God teaches it. Everything we are is surrounded and connected directly with the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. Paul says, I didn't go around and baptize folks so that you could brag, Paul baptized me. He says, I went around and I preached the death, the burial, and the resurrection because it is in that that we will always be united with the one that we ought to be united with, and that is with Jesus. But notice the rest of verse 17. This is powerful. So he says, but I came to preach the gospel not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. Now, what he's going to do for the rest of this chapter pretty much is he's going to compare the wisdom of man to the wisdom of God. You see where this is going? You and the empire state building, the wisdom of man to the wisdom of God. And he's also going to describe the power of God to the power of man. And Paul says, I did not come and preach the gospel to you and then think, oops, Jews are not going to like the fact that I'm telling them their Messiah died, that he suffered, that he was executed hmm, I better wrap a little bit of man's wisdom around this to make the story sound better. Paul says, I could have done that. But he says, then what I would have done is I would have made the cross of none effect. Think about that. The death of Jesus of none effect. Paul, what would make the death of Jesus of none effect? Taking the teaching of the gospel and trying to figure out how to wrap some men's wisdom around it and you're gonna make it of none effect. Notice verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God who would be lost, who would spiritually and eternally perish. Those that look at the cross and say, that's not for me. Jesus Christ is not for me. Oh, I believe in God. I just believe that there are many ways to the Father. Oh, I believe in God, but I don't believe in a crucified God. And on and on, men's philosophy flows. And he says, for those individuals, it's perishing. But what about for those who are saved? The only way we will be saved is by the power of the gospel. The death, the burial, and the resurrection. And notice this. It's that same power that empowers us today. I want you to hold your finger here. And I've put this off for a couple of weeks, and I'm going to quit putting it off. Look, if you will, in Ephesians, the first chapter. I want you to see something really awesome here. And this is where Paul says a prayer. And, and as we see the power of the resurrection... What Paul wanted us to understand is that that same God that had the power to resurrect Jesus is the same God who has the same power not only to resurrect you but that power to work in your life. That's huge. That's huge. The power to resurrect Jesus can work in your life right now. He's saying a prayer in Ephesians, the first chapter, verse 15 and 16. He tells them that he's praying. In 17, he wants them to have, notice this, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, this is prayer for them, the Father of glory that may give to you the spirit of wisdom and the revelation, the knowledge of him. Isn't that what we're studying about right now? In other words, what if you start thinking your wisdom is greater than God's wisdom? And he says, That's not my prayer for you. My prayer for you is that you'll always rely upon the wisdom of God and that you'll rely upon the knowledge of God. Now, let's continue reading. The eyes of your understanding be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, that what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance of his saints. And so notice this in 1920. And what is the exceeding greatness Exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe. According to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him as right hand in the heavenly places. Do you realize that in 19, Paul's prayer was, I want you to have the exceeding great power of God. Paul, tell us what do you mean by that? He says, I'm talking about the same power that resurrected Jesus from the grave. I want you to have that in your life. Brethren, that's what the gospel can do. When we live our life and say the wisdom of God is so much greater than the wisdom of man, the power of God is so much greater than power of man, we have opened ourselves up, he says in 18, not only to salvation, but to power of God in our life. And what a beautiful fact that is. But look in 21, verse 21. We're back now at 1 Corinthians 1 chapter. Look at 21. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. So God sent Jesus to this earth. Man saw the wisdom of God lived out. And because some men tried to look at Jesus through the wisdom of men. Remember when Paul preached at Athens? Those were philosophers that listened to that. And they heard the wisdom of God preached, but they put it in their mind and tried to understand it with the wisdom of men and very few of them responded. And so he says, you in your wisdom can deduce that the wisdom of God is nothing. But just know, it's still going to be the message of the cross. That wisdom of God that saves. Call it foolishness is what he's referring to in 21. Call it whatever you want but that's still going to be the message and the wisdom that saves. Let's read one more verse and then let's put this in order. Verse 25, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God stronger than men. And what Paul does is he reaches out here and says, I want to try to give you an illustration. And I don't even really know if this illustration could actually be proven to be be true in the exactness of it as much as Paul's saying, I'm grasping here. And I think you'll see what I mean by that. But he says, I want you to get together all of the wisdom that you could ever get together on this earth. So you say, we're going to pick a hundred of the wisest people on this earth and we're going to pull them and we're going to discuss matters. And we are going to create the greatest wisdom that the human race has to offer. And we're going to put it on a scale. Okay. Okay. And so we put the greatest wisdom that the human race has to offer and it would be like one sheet of paper high. It'd be so so low, you'd say, is there anything there? I thought we were gonna put this on a scale, where is it? And then beside that, say, let's put the wisdom of God. And we put the wisdom of God and it would be like standing underneath the Empire State Building. I, I I can't see the top. You mean to tell me the wisdom of God compared to the wisdom of man. But he even takes it a step further to try to show it. He says, no, if you want to make a comparison like that, you'd put the wisdom of man and then pick out whatever you would think is the foolishness of God. And it still is that much. The best that man has to offer and the least that God has to offer is still such a difference. You can't compare them. And he does the same thing with power. That verse we just read, he does the same thing with power. He says, you get a hundred of the most powerful men on the earth, powerful women. They have influence, they have money, they have the ability to push buttons that can release nuclear weapons. They have the ability through their popularity to sway crowds, put all of the the hundreds of most powerful people on this earth together and let's measure their power. Oh, it's about the height of a sheet of paper. Now let's get the weakness of God. Get the weakness of God and let's measure it against the power of man. And the weakness of God would be like the Empire State Building, you can't see the top of it And it would compare. Now, wait a minute. We must have lost our focus. That's not what we're studying today, right? We're studying about contention and division. Paul must, he must have some ADD or something. Why why all of a sudden are we talking about man's wisdom versus God's wisdom, man's power versus God's power, if the topic is contention and division? Do you remember this next slide? And hopefully you won't get tired of it because we may see this from time to time. Do you remember when I showed you the pyramid of life? And if you look over to the left side, it may help you to remember that. The very core of our being is what we believe. And then what we believe develops our values and our convictions. They stem from what we believe. And then the top level of the pyramid is our behavior and our action. And so we can see that. And oftentimes we make a terrible mistake when we're dealing with problems and all we try to do is deal with solutions to the top layer. And it just doesn't work that way for healthy resolutions. So in other words, if you knew that there were contentions going on in a congregation, would your thought be, I tell you what we need to do is we need to address people to teach them how to be peacemakers. We need to teach them how to forgive each other. We need to teach them how to sit down and do healthy resolution. Look, there may be a place for some of that, but isn't it interesting Paul doesn't do that here. He says, yes, top line, you have a serious problem with contention. Now look at the very bottom line. He says, this is the problem you have. You're taking man's wisdom and you're treating it supreme or superior even to God's wisdom. Now, if you're going to put God's wisdom or or man's wisdom supreme to God's wisdom, look at the next line up from the bottom. What that's going to do is it's going to distract you because you're gonna begin following men. It may be following your own wisdom. You may look around and say, I wonder what Paul would say. I wonder what Apollos would say. I wonder what Peter would say. You start following all these other men. Well, what's that going to do? As you come up to your value system, you're going to accept the idea. We can have different minds. We can have different judgments. We're not all going to agree on things. Doesn't that sound familiar to our society today? Oh yeah, we can never agree on it. What well, depends. It depends how great you think God is or how great you think you are. And then what's that going to do? Well, if we follow this, it's going to lead to perishing. These are all the verses we just read. It's going to lead to perishing and it's going to be perishing without power. And then what's that going to do? Verse 17, that's going to say that the cross has no effect in your life. The cross has effect, but it doesn't affect your life. In other words, you can walk up to Jesus Christ and say, You shouldn't have died on the cross. It means nothing to me. Now, what's that going to cause? It's gonna cause strife. It's gonna cause divisions. It's gonna cause contentions. There are literally divisions where Paul says, the problem isn't just the strife. The problem is the way you view God, His wisdom, and His power. Next slide is just the opposite. If you look at the top, what's the very top? We see a group that's unified and they enjoy peace with each other. I believe we enjoy that as a congregation, but you and I need to realize that does not mean that it will continue to exist unless in the very core, it's not just, oh, we need to work and make sure that we're all unified. Let's work on being peacemakers. It is good to work on being peacemakers, but keep in mind, There is a much greater depth of a congregation that is truly unified in the way God wants it to be. Look at the bottom line. It is those that says God's word is supreme. God's word reigns in my life. Whatever God says, I'm standing up against the Empire State Building. I'm looking at God. His way is going to lead my life. And so because of that, we believe the gospel. It may sound weird to have a savior that died on a cross. Why did he have to die on the cross? I don't know exactly why he had to die on the cross. Is he resurrected? I believe with all of my heart that he's resurrected. Someone says, that's strange to me. Look, it may be foolishness to you, but it is wisdom to me. It may be weak and of no effect to you, but it is strong and everything to me. And every one of us that are united, that's what it means to us. And so we have a value system. And that value system is we share the same beliefs as others. And because of that, we're saved. We have power. The cross has effect in our life. And the very next line are things that we see. It's in the visible. And so people see there are no contentions there. There's no divisions there. They have the same mind, unity, and peace. What a beautiful Beautiful lesson for us to learn. So kingdom living isn't perfect living. It doesn't mean that we're going to see everything the same and that we're going to be able to just think naturally all the same. Kingdom living is being able to see how are we going to deal with these problems. Let's go back to the root of our existence. Let's go back to God. If we lean upon God's wisdom and God's power, we can have that. I think about Several years ago, in San Francisco, Manassa had, a, Mensa had a, um, a, a convention, And you know that's the folks that score 140 higher in IQ. And so they sat at a table and they noticed that, that the the salt, pepper, uh, the salt shaker had pepper to come out, and the pepper shaker had salt to come out. And um, they saw, you know, written on the top of the cap was salt and pepper, so they realized there's a mistake here in this. And so they began to brainstorm, if we're some of the brightest people in the world, we ought to be able to figure out a way with just what we have at this table, how we could exchange the salt out of this container and put it in this container and the pepper out of this one and put it in that one. And so these individuals that were really thinking, they really are that smart. And they finally, after a lot of discussion... And a lot of options they considered. They came up with a plan using the napkin they had there, a straw that they had there, and a saucer they had there. And as the waitress came by, they thought they would boast a little bit about the problem that was at hand, but they were so smart they could solve this problem. And yet they didn't get far enough into the discussion of how they were going to solve the problem, because when they identified the problem, she said, oh, let me, let me fix that for you. She unscrewed the cap that said salt on it, and she put it on the container that had salt. And she unscrewed the pepper and put it on one pepper. She said, there you go, that fixes it. Brethren, that's how great God is. You're looking at problems and you don't say, I don't, I don't know how we're going to deal with this problem. God's wisdom is so much greater than your wisdom. You can lean on yourself. And as you seek to find solutions, what you're probably doing is going deeper into problems. Or you can lean upon God and allow him to truly provide solutions in your life. Life without God's reign is a problem that creates many more problems. Often the problematic solutions just create more responses. And so today we've studied the problem with strife. What's the answer to the problem with strife? If you didn't study 1 Corinthians, you would think that somebody misunderstood the question. You walk up to God and you say, what's the problem with strife? And he said, say, I'll tell you the problem with strife. Somebody in the group thinks they're wiser than God. Somebody in the group thinks they're more powerful than God. You get everybody in the group to leaning on God's wisdom and God's power, you can work out any problem you have. Now you're disappointed. Somebody said, I wanted to hear step one, step two, step three. That's man's philosophy. Get down to the core of the matter. What do you really think about God? When you go to work tomorrow and you got to deal with that difficult employee, that difficult coworker, are you going to lean against that empire state building of knowledge and wisdom and power? And are you going to look at God, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, just a little piece of paper, and all of your ways, top line of the pyramid, and all of your ways, acknowledge him, and he'll direct your path. Well, no, I can't do that because you see, if I did it God's way at work, it really, it really create a lot. Oh, oh, that's right. You know, better than God. I forgot about that. Yeah. Don't go home and live the way God would tell you to live as a wife or as a husband. Because after all, you know, so much better than God. And then a few minutes later, we say, I don't understand why my life has so many problems in it. I don't understand why I keep dealing with the same problems over and over and over. You keep dealing with your own problems with your power and your wisdom and you'll have the opportunity to deal with them for a lifetime because they'll never be solved. Or we can find righteous resolution with God's wisdom and God's power. Brethren, we can be united as long as each individual allows God to reign in their life. But we ever stop and we allow God to become second, Mount Juliet Church of Christ will divide. I'm thankful we are united, but let us never forget why. If we can help you in any way, if you're ready to come and unite your life with the Lord and let His power save you, we would love to help you come to Him. Maybe you have come to Him and you've left Him and you want to come back to Him. We'd love to assist you in that.